Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Amen. Good to see you all. It's lovely to have people in the building. It's lovely not just to be talking to empty rows and to a light on a camera at the back. So it's lovely to see you all. You look lovely. You all look nice. Uh, thanks for keeping me awake all night. Um, and welcome to Resurrection Sunday. Um, what a powerful day in the kingdom of God. This is a celebrated day, and this is the day that we celebrate that Jesus conquered death. Um, probably two of the big days in the Christian calendar are Christmas Day and Easter Sunday, and yet we, we, we prepare for Christmas for a month before it, don't we? And by lunchtime today, after lunch, Easter's almost gone. We don't think an awful lot about it, and yet it's so, so powerful. And what we wanted to do this morning, even as we celebrate um, resurrection, is with, in tune with the life groups, we, our theme is unanswered prayer. Now, um, <laughs> unanswered prayer is a very powerful topic, and um, God took me to the wire this week with this one. I had to fight for this one. And because um, when you want to preach an unanswered prayer and God doesn't answer you, <laughs> it kind of like gets his point over. And um, that's exactly what happened. You know, it, it was a, this was a battle, all right? So I'm going to talk um, not that long this morning for 20 minutes or so and um, talk a little bit about this. But it reminds me of a funny story of it in the back of my notes here that I read in um, Charlie Brown's comic strip of the little boy who's late November. He's got a new sleigh. He's waiting for snow, but there's nothing but grass. And he's praying for snow. And he's saying, right, God, one, two, three, let it snow. And it doesn't snow. And then he says, come on, God, come on. I said, snow. And he's shaking his fist at heavens. And he said, if I was God, I would make it snow from, from November through to May. And then I'd make the sun shine from May through to November. And of course, God um, is not responding to this. And he said, come on, God, just a foot. Okay, God, just eight inches. Even six inches would do, God. And then um, head down, fence, uh, fist clenched, he, he lets us, ah, it's not an English word, really, but we all know what it means. And um, finally, this little boy exhausted, his energy spent, his prayers unanswered, snow is nowhere in sight. And in the final frame, he cries in utter desperation, okay, God, I'm going to become an atheist. Um, now, many Christians, it's funny, but many Christians feel a little bit like that little boy, don't we? We feel a little bit of the despair. We... we um, feel the pain sometimes, don't we, of unanswered prayer. And we believe in a God who answers sometimes and sometimes doesn't. And we don't really have much of a theology for that. That's the truth. And um, so I, that's what I want to talk to you a little bit about today. You know, we have heard it said that God always answers prayer. God says yes, he says no, and he says wait a while. And there's two of those answers we don't like. And I don't, don't actually think that's fully true because the one that we all hate the most is the silence. It's not the yes or the no or the wait a while. It's the nothing. And I had a little bit of a week of that. Nothing. Nothing. Crying to God on the floor. God, come on. Um, this is Easter Sunday. People are coming back into the building. I need to tell them something. And, um, 
And so what happens is a great many believers struggle with the issue of unanswered prayer, but actually don't really talk about it. If there is a God, then why does he... Why doesn't he answer all our prayers? Why doesn't he answer my prayers? And there are people who hide behind the scars of pain of prayers that haven't been answered this year. um, There are family members in this room right now who this year have suffered the pain of unanswered prayers. And so it's a big thing. It's a big thing. We've called our friends to help us in this. And the Bible's full of it. The Bible's full of it. The Psalms are full of this. Psalm 10. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me. How long must I take counsel in my soul and how long must the enemy be exalted over me? On and on I could go. Psalm 22, the great messianic psalm about Jesus himself. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me and from the words of my groaning? Psalm 88, not too many preachers preaching it the darkest psalm in all of the psalms. There's no hope in it. It's not one of those psalms that has this beautiful crescendo at the end that the psalmist lifts himself out of his grief and pain. No, no, no. It finishes right where it starts. Dark, dark psalm. And many of you have been there. Many of you have been in that place where um, it's been like the dark night of the soul, as St. John of the Cross would have put it. The dark night of the soul where we've cried and cried and we've prayed and prayed and our prayers haven't been answered. And I I hope this doesn't disappoint you, but I have no theological answer for that. None at all. And I think that's what happens is we try to bluff these things over and we try to skim them over with nice some some nice theological stuff that we don't actually even understand either, but it seems like a good answer. But one of the things that I think that happens for me is that when it comes to this great thing called unanswered prayer, we begin to realize that there are many times in the Bible, and one of the things, one of the places in the Bible that I find helps me the most is Paul's prayer in 2 Corinthians 12. And in this passage, Paul um, reveals that 14 years earlier, he had this massive experience where God took him up into heaven in some shape or form, and he's seen things that no mortal had ever seen before. This was the greatest experience in his life, and he'd never forgot it and all of those things. But something else happened, Paul, that would change his life forever, change his whole perspective on life. But let's listen to him tell the story. This is what he says in 2 Corinthians 12. He says, to keep me from being conceited because of these surpassing great revelations that he had been caught up into heaven, he said, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now, maybe many Bible students are divided about what this is. Some of the um, think it was maybe the fierce um, opposition that he, see, he got from Jewish leaders, his Jewish opponents. Others, think it was some kind of demonic oppression, which is what it seems to be. Still others think that his um, ailment was a physical ailment. Some people would say it was his eyesight. See such large letters. I write to you. He finishes one of his epistles in. Um, Such large letters I write with my own hand, he says. So in one sense, it doesn't really matter because the crucial point, and I'll get emails this week of people telling me what it was. It's a bit like Jesus writing on the sand. Everybody wants to tell you what he wrote, but the Bible doesn't tell you what he wrote. And the Bible doesn't tell us what this thorn is, so save your emails. Um, Sorry. Um, So 
the crucial point that the crucial point is that that Paul prayed for God to remove this thorn in the flesh so that he could get on with his ministry. In fact, he didn't just pray one times, but he prayed three times. And he just didn't pray, Lord, would you help me sort this out? He pleaded, he begged, he got before the Lord and he cried before the Lord and he said, Lord, do it, please do it. But it didn't happen. Can you imagine that? The great apostle Paul, probably one of the greatest apostles who ever lived, the one who wrote most of the New Testament, and he's a man who believes in prayer. We've many of his prayers in the epistles that teach us so much about his important, powerful prayer life. If he was here next Sunday and he said, I'm going to pray with you if you'd like prayer, everybody would be in the prayer line. I know I'd be fighting for a space. All right? But here's clear-cut case given in his own words where he desperately begged God to take away an issue in his life. And as I ponder the story, I gather great encouragement from it. And it teaches me some really important principles. It teaches me this. It teaches me that unanswered prayer sometimes happens to the very best of Christians. It teaches me that this here, it teaches me that what happens often isn't humanly explainable. We can't just explain it with a theology. There's no real answer to it. And it teaches me that when it happens, God usually and most likely has a higher purpose in mind. My mom and I, uh, you know my story with dad who suffered Alzheimer's for the guts of 20 years of his life. And for the last 12, being almost bedridden most of the time. And my mom and I used to talk about this all the time, about the why of life. And after Jill died, we, we used to have these conversations all the time about looking with an eternal perspective. We don't know the full story. God does. We don't know the full story. And so our lives look a little bit, I think the only analogy I can think of is that our lives look a little bit like a tapestry, don't they? We see it from the bottom where it's just a mess of strings and ties, but God sees it as a beautiful picture of our story that weaves into his story. And we just don't fully see that. And the reason I think we don't see it is because um, we celebrate Easter Sunday like we're doing today, and we forget that there was a Saturday to endure. We forget what people call Holy Saturday. We talk about Good Friday, but we never talk that much about Holy Saturday. And here's the thing, I think we live in Holy Saturday. That's where I think we live. I think we're between two things. We're between two worlds, really, aren't we? Jesus has died on the cross. He's gotten the victory. He's finished the, 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 the price for our sin. He's paid it all. All to him we know. We know all of that. But it's not fully consummated yet. He's going to return, and he's going to bring us to glory. And at this moment in time, we're living in a liminal space. We're living in that holy Saturday place. We're living in a place where we need to hold mourning and tension, or mourning and celebration and attention. We need to hold suffering, and we need to hold celebration in some kind of a holy tension as we live in this Saturday moment, living in the land between. It's almost like we live continuously in that Groundhog Day. You remember the film Groundhog Day? And we keep waking up and it's still Saturday. And on Good Friday, we remember that Jesus took all the brokenness and all our suffering and all that is wrong with our world 
and he bore it on the cross. He died. And when we think of all the different kinds of ways that our world falls short of love and justice and righteousness and peace that God intended, we grieve and mourn for that. Of course we do. But we know these things grieve the heart of our good and loving God. We understand that. But then comes Easter Sunday and we celebrate, just like we've done, the resurrection. We celebrate that Jesus did not stay dead. He rose again. He beat the pain and brokenness and suffering and made it possible for the beauty of heaven to start to invade our world. And that's what's happening. The kingdom of God began back when Jesus arrived on planet earth and the kingdom of God began to invade our world. And we as Christians, what that means is that we pray that God's kingdom would come. We are praying that the things in heaven would be on earth. We are praying that our world would be filled with God's love and his peace and his righteousness and all that. And we believe that Jesus one day will return to the world that he loves and bring that kingdom in all its fullness, that he will fill our world with that perfect love and justice. We believe all that. There'll be no more death and no more crying and no more pain. There will be no more crime and no injustice, no poverty. But Holy Saturday reminds us of the waiting and the longing. We've been through a tough year. We've lost some friends and loved ones out of our church. Um, uh, But there's still much more that we hope for. Jesus is coming back maybe sooner than we think there is a better future that we've tasted and glimpsed of and that we're going to enter into one day. And our hearts are heavy when we see the state of the world and we see the state of our politics and we see the state of even the world's economies and all of the things that are going. We cannot rush past the moment that our world is broken, but we are broken as well. And um, considering the first disciples' experience of Holy Saturday gives us a meaning that cuts across, I think, all theological divides and all those fancy answers that we try to give for stuff like this. They waited. Saturday was the Sabbath, so they couldn't even finish tending Jesus' body for entombment properly. We're told that in um, Luke 23, 54, they felt an incompleteness. Even as they buried Jesus, they felt incomplete, just like we feel incomplete. I'm sure they went over and over the events. They're trying to make sense of the shock. Their dejected faces displaying what was going on in their broken hearts. Jesus was dead. Could this really be the end of him? Yes, he had predicted that he would rise on the third day, but somewhere they'd missed it. Somewhere they hadn't really grasped it or really ever understood it. And the revolting sounds of Good Friday kept spilling into the eerie quiet of their silence and of his absence. And they waited, but with little, if any, hope. We're told that, On this barren day, um, Jesus, the people who loved Jesus, John 20, 19 reminds us, they were behind locked doors in despair and in fear for their lives. Imagine that. We have similar feelings when we face death and those of the families who have faced that. No matter how strong our faith, we experience the pang of love's untimely calling, don't we? And we, uh, we feel it's just not what the way it's supposed to be. And we've been interrupted. We find ourselves waiting for the loved one's return, even though we know it cannot be. Saturday, we feel the loneliness of this absence. We feel and endure the waiting for a reunion haunted by the midnight of the question, is there anything worse than this void? 
And that's where we stand. Holy Saturday tells us that Jesus entered death and stayed dead for that period of time. The gap was long enough that he truly tasted death. Hebrews 2.9 says that he tasted death. This was not a swoon. Acts 2.9 says that he experienced the pangs of death. Jesus was dead. He fully entered the land from whence no one had ever returned. And he undertook the great loneliness of death as, a, as, as part of redeeming us. And this, um, the disciples, are, 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 they experienced this death. And it was, to them it was permanent. To them it was stunning. But here's the, here's the good news, and you know this. Because of the interval that is Holy Saturday, the hope of Psalm 139, which is one of my favorite psalms, is grounded in Jesus' own experience. Here's what he said. He said, if I make my bed in Sheol, then I'll be there. Here's the thing. You cannot go where Jesus has not been. You cannot even go to the grave and know that he hasn't been there. Jesus has been wherever you will go because Jesus descended into death. He made all the darkness his own. Death captured Jesus and he entered it fully. But then in the great reversal, Jesus captured death and in his rising, darkness filled the, the light with his presence and he dispelled that gloom forever for those who trust him. And here's the cool thing. When we consider the crossing into death, we know that, that even when when, when we we're told in this verse that his grace is sufficient for us. And so even when it comes to the point of death, here's the thing, even darkness is not dark to Jesus. I love this verse. It's in Psalm 139, 12. He says, let me, let me read it. He says, um, and then I'll not misquote it. He, he says it this way in verse 12. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. He said, even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is bright as day for darkness is as light with you. Isn't that amazing? Even darkness is, is not dark to him. Jesus took our sins and so on, taken all of that lonely dying as his own and sometimes, yes, our prayers will go unanswered and unless you admit the fact and deal with it as a Christian, you'll probably give up praying altogether. Now, it doesn't sound like a real theological expounding of the scriptures this morning, but it's the truth. God, and here, here's, here's what I believe the truth is, all right? Here's my little analogy of it. I actually do believe God hears every prayer. I believe he hears every single prayer. And some he chooses to answer differently than we would answer. And some he chooses to stay silent on. And I don't know the proper answer to that, but here's what I think. No prayer is entirely wasted, for even unanswered prayer is often used to draw us closer to him. And I think what happens when we pray is the case is that we, we get focused on the answer. We get solely and exclusively focused on the answer to prayer, but God wants us to focus on him. And whatever will help us to do that in our time of need, sometimes that means our prayers are answered, and that's amazing in miraculous ways, and other times they're not answered in the way that we think they should. 
And you remember this experience with Job. You remember in Job's story, it tells all of this, how he lost his home, he lost his children, he lost his health, he lost everything. And when he hit the bottom, he's filled with anger and he's wishing he were dead. And he uttered these immortal words, though you slay me, yet will I trust in him. That's pretty cool, isn't it? When it comes to that, and he's saying, God, you can take my life, but you can't stop me trusting you. And yes, there's this note of of sort of lingering defiance in those words, and Job's not happy about what's happened to him, and he's looking at his day in court and all of that, but beneath the anger and searing pain was a bedrock faith of saying, God, I don't understand all this, but I'm hanging on to you, and I'm not letting go. That's the theology of the word. Saying, God, I am not letting. And this is the place that I believe God wants to bring you. Dixie and the guys are going to come up. We're going to finish with a song of celebration. I wanted to talk about that today because I know in Life Group this week, it's a massive topic. Unanswered prayer is a massive topic. And we're all, if we're all really honest, if we're all really honest with one another, we've all faced sometimes the little bits of disappointment and sometimes the big bits of disappointment. And you say, God, I do trust you. I do. I don't understand you, but I do trust you with all of my life. And all of us, if we've lived life any space of time, have probably been in that place. But it's Holy Saturday. <laughs> We're living in a world of tension. We're living in the world of now and not yet. And thank God for the little um, times that we see the now of the kingdom burst in and somebody gets totally healed of cancer and somebody gets a miraculous victory and somebody gets a miracle and we celebrate those. And then we pray for our loved one and they die. And we, we're struggling with this tension. Let's face it. Let's face the reality of the Bible. Let's not try to cover it up with a fancy verse that actually we take totally out of context, but let's face the reality that we're in a tension, and we're in a Saturday moment, and we're in a place of limbo. We're in a middle ground, but the King is coming. He's coming, and he's coming soon, and we'll rise to meet him, and the tapestry will then unfold, and we'll see it from his side, and we'll say, all right, so that's what it was all about. And for loved ones who've gone before, I have this little thought that, you know, where it might be 10 years or 20 years or 30 years as the years roll on, but in the kingdom, there's no time. It's time to us. It seems like a long time to us, but it could be seconds. One day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. So it's but a second away for the kingdom. So um, let's do that, and then I'll come back after. I want to pray for you. Um, let's worship together. Let's stand. Can we do that? God, lead us, Lord. These are solemn things we're chatting about this morning. They're harsh realities, and they're important that we face the truth of what your word actually says and see all of these people. But we want to celebrate that you're risen. We want to celebrate that you're coming back again. And so we ask you to lead us as we worship, as we close. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.